Turn your windshield time into learning time. When you're not listening to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, listen to the next book that is going to unlock something so you can do better in your day-to-day by signing up for Audible. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash audible to get a free book and a free month and learn why it's one of my favorite tools. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Happy Halloween, everybody. I am Trace Blackmore, the host of Scaling Up H2O. And as you know, for listening to me for the past five years, Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. I just, I just really, really enjoy it. It's fun. My wife and I used to always do a Halloween party And then for some reason, we just stopped. And it wasn't COVID. We had stopped years before that. I really missed that. So we're going to have to start doing that again. And people all over would come. We would have so many people in our house. We had all these blow-up things in our front yard, all sorts of treats and different drinks. There was a lot of cleaning before and even more cleaning after. Maybe that's why we stopped doing it. But I do miss it. So maybe next year we'll go ahead and start doing that again. You know, I was trying to think of what I could talk about this Halloween. In past Halloweens, uh, I I did the Raven. That was probably the hardest thing I've ever done on this podcast. So if you search a couple Halloweens ago, you'll listen to me reading Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Uh, That was, uh, again, the most challenge I ever had on this podcast. I wanted to make sure I did a good job to that. I've talked about haunted boiler rooms. I'm trying to think some other things that I've done. I couldn't really think of anything along those lines to do this year, but I did think of the Halloween movie series. And of course, that's Michael Myers. And uh, he is going to wherever scandally clad teenagers are and just uh, making their lives not so nice. That's what the movies are. They're horror movies, and uh, they're not that heavy lifting as far as thinking, but um, I don't know. They're kind of fun. And if you remember a couple years ago, they had Halloween H2O, and I think it was the worst marketing of any movie ever because it was supposed to be Halloween 20. It was the 20-year celebration of the first Halloween movie that came out, but everybody called it Halloween H2O. And it had absolutely nothing to do with water. Now, Michael Myers, he's not known for saving water. He's not known for doing anything with water. So I was thinking, how do we really bring water into Halloween H2O? And I was thinking, well, how do we look at what we do around Halloween and make it a little bit more water efficient? So most of us, I know this is what we do in the States, is we give out candy to trick or treaters, and nobody ever wants a trick. They always want a treat. And we have started doing the single-serve candies, and uh, some of them are better packaged than others. If you actually look about how much water goes into either creating all of those packages or what we have to do in order to get rid of all those packages once they're thrown away and how much water that takes, just considering your packaging of the candy that you are giving out can really affect the amount of water that we are using. 
Now, I just read information that over 300,000 tons of trash is created every single Halloween season. So just think, if we did a little bit better with packaging, we could really make an impact on the environment. And then as far as it comes to bottled water, now I don't know who gives out bottled water on Halloween, but if you did, or if you are with somebody that uses a lot of bottled water, that's a lot of waste. I know that you are all water treaters out there and you know how good most of the municipal water is. We live in Atlanta, specifically in Gwinnett County, and folks, we have some fantastic drinking water. We don't need to waste money on all this expensive bottled water. And there's so much trash that goes into the landfill for this convenience for bottled water. If we did not have to do that, and you're thinking, well, I recycle it. Well, there's a lot of water involved in recycling plastic. So if we just cut it off at the source, just imagine the amount of water that we can save. And this is an interesting fact that I looked up, and it's on the internet, so you know it has to be right. But did you know it takes 3,000 liters of water to produce one cotton shirt? So think about your Halloween costume. Are you just going to use it once? Maybe you're like me and you recycle your costumes every couple of years. But if you're not going to use your costume again, don't throw it away. Donate it and somebody else can reuse that. There's a lot of water that goes into making our clothing. So if we can repurpose that, we are saving water. So there you go, Hollywood. Scaling Up H2O has saved you with Halloween H2O, and we finally made your Halloween H2O title about water. Folks, here are a couple of items that you might want to put on your calendar. And as always, don't worry about writing these things down. We have all of this on our webpage, scalinguph2o.com. And if you go over to the events page, you can actually click on everything that I'm going to tell you, including putting a calendar invite right into your calendar. My staff has done an incredible job of retooling our website using your suggestions, making the content that we have even easier for you to find. So the first one I'm gonna tell you about is the International Water Conference. That's gonna be November 6th through 10th in Orlando, Florida. A couple of years ago, they invited me down and they had me record two of their convention committee chairpeople about what was going on with the IWC. This is a really fun conference to go to. So many companies are there and it's just spread across such a wide area of industries and technologies and different water treatment areas. So definitely check that out to see if that is something that you want to attend. And while you're on that page, the UN Water Summit on Groundwater is taking place in Paris, France, December 7th through 8th. So if you want to learn more about this, we'll have information on that on our show notes page. And then the American Water Summit, November 15th through 17th in Los Angeles, California. The American Water Summit 
has established itself as the most important annual meeting point for senior executives working within North America in the water sector. So if this sounds like something you want to learn more about, go to our show notes page for this episode, or better yet, go to the events section and you will learn all about that. Well, you have joined us in podcast month, and I'm always amazed when people want to know more about how we put on Scaling Up H2O. I love that. The Scaling Up Nation loves the Scaling Up H2O podcast, and you want to know how we bring it to you each and every week. So you've heard from Antoine Walter last week, And today, you're going to be hearing from two friends of mine that have been on the podcast before. In fact, when they were testing the waters, they came on this podcast to see if podcasting was something they wanted to do. Now, before I introduce them, here is James McDonald with a brand new Thinking on Water with James. Welcome to Thinking on Water with James the segment where we don't give you the answers, we give you the topics and questions for you to think about, drop by drop. Now let's get to it. In this week's episode, we're thinking about resin traps. First, what is a resin trap? Why would resin need to be caught in a trap? What can cause resin to even make it to such a trap? Are resin traps only for capturing resin, or can they be installed on other water treatment equipment with other types of media? What are the various designs for resin traps? How are they cleaned? Do any of your systems have resin traps installed? Take this week to think about resin traps and the benefits they may provide. Be sure to follow hashtag TOW22 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O to share your thoughts on each week's Thinking on Water. I'm James McDonald, and I look forward to learning more from you. Thank you, James. And ladies and gentlemen, here's our interview. Well, Scaling Up Nation, today you are in for a treat because I don't just have one lab partner, I have two lab partners. So welcome to the show, Jim Loria of Maisie and Adam Tank of Transcend. Welcome, guys. Hey. Oh, great to be here. Great to be here, Trace. So uh, no stranger to the podcast. You guys have been on before. In fact, you were testing the waters to see if you wanted to do your own podcast, and the answer was a resounding yes. And now the world has been introduced to what are we talking about? How is that going? Fantastic. I mean, how, how many have we done now, Adam? Oh, we're at upwards of 30 for yeah, sure. 30 I mean, I'll tell yeah. you, when we when we started at Trace, in the, the teaser for the show, if you go back and scroll to the very first one, I wasn't as set on starting a podcast as Jim was. I thought there were plenty of them out there. I figured, you know, a lot of them are just a whole bunch of hand-wavy high-level thoughts, nothing's actually getting done, no actionable stuff. So I was very intent that if we're going to do this, people are going to learn actual tactics on how to tell water's story in a meaningful way. Yeah. And the joke was, we weren't going to talk about water. We were going to talk about talking about water. And Adam Adam said, look, Jim, if we're going to do this, we need to do it. And so people are going to get some value, some benefit out of it. And he held me accountable to it, and, and uh, we've we've maintained that kind of, hey, this is what our audience is going to get from what are we talking about. I'm always amazed when people ask me to see behind the scenes of how podcasts are done, and, and you guys are actually ending our month where we're taking a look behind how podcasts are done. 
And you've been doing a podcast for 30 episodes. I'm kind of curious. One, why did you decide you were the ones that needed to do this podcast? And um, how do you feel 30 episodes later? I will tell you from my perspective, and I feel like this about life generally, that if it is to be, it's up to me. I was tired of listening to all these water shows, podcasts, videos, whatever's out there that were just the, the same rinse and repeat that everyone else is talking about. And I know and still feel that if our industry was able to tell better stories, not only about the individuals in our industry, but about the work that we do for the public, then it will radically elevate the conversation around water globally which ultimately brings more investment into the sector, which is good for our businesses. It's good for the public. It's good for our utilities. It's good for everyone. So I felt compelled because generally we're just terrible at telling water story. So we needed to do something about it. And I felt that if we're going to do it, and Adam was holding us accountable, we needed to find the right partner. And we both of us agreed we didn't mind finding the guests, interviewing the guests, coming up with the questions. But as far as producing and editing the actual podcast, we needed somebody and we decided let's reach out to Water Online. I had a good relationship with them. And so we decided, hey, will you guys do the production? Will you post it? And it's been a great partnership since uh, we did that. So, uh, I mean, that was an important aspect of it because we felt there was some parts of the podcast we were going to be good at and be able to do, and there were other parts that we needed somebody uh, some help with. So working closely with Water Online, what have you learned? Have they benefited from the podcast? What's some feedback that you've received? Well, we think so. I mean, they've got content. I mean, they've got a lot of content. They've got guests that they normally wouldn't have. You know, one of the things that Adam and I put together was we were going to have a broad spectrum of people that were good storytellers, not just touting their products and, and services, but storytellers. So from a wide range of different market sectors, different applications, different uh, parts of the countries, diversity was a big point for us. We really wanted to get a diverse group of people in terms of age, in terms of men and women, in terms of international people. Um, so we think we've accomplished that and probably put things on their website, on, on their platform that maybe they wouldn't have gotten if it wasn't for us. And I would say, Trace, that one of the, the biggest benefits isn't in the, you know, the number of listeners or subscribers or even emails per se that we might get or LinkedIn views, likes, comments. It's when you go to a conference and someone I've never met in my life comes up to me and goes, I love your podcast. That's what it's all about. And so I'd imagine we're, we're, it's not only helpful for us selfishly, but for Water Online, these are people that they typically don't touch. They're, most of their audience is vendors of products and services. But we've had utility leaders on. We've had folks in agriculture on. We've had educators. Uh, I mean, you name it, right? It runs the gambit. So it is bringing a different audience to Water Online as well. We had Anton Walker on last week, and he was talking about it's difficult for him to accept congratulations on his podcast, to when people thank him, he always feels awkward about that. And, and I'm the same way. How do you guys handle that? Man, maybe I'm just not there yet. I'm not at the, at the level of the caliber that you guys are, but I still feel super, 
super, super humble. Like I, I really appreciate it. I mean, it's, it takes some effort. I'll say that for Jim and I, our job is pretty easy. So it's like the real thanks, I guess, should be owed to the guests in many ways and to Water Online too for editing and, and, and publishing the content. Um, but it's, you know, I am thankful. I'm thankful about it. Well, it's a partnership, right? I mean, it's a partnership between Adam and I. It's a partnership between Adam I and I and the guests. It's a partnership with us and Water Online. So, you know, it's a, it's a team approach. So for us to take credit for that, I mean, you know, we're only part of the story. And so, again, like Adam said, humbled to be part of it. We're a part of the water community. We're doing our small part to tell water story. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's humbling experience. I'm still working on it. I try to be humble as well, but it's just it's just odd for me to to take that compliment. I feel like uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm working through it. I enjoy them. I'm glad people enjoy the show. So thank you for that little bit of therapy. I, I need that. <laughs> I'm curious. Why did you guys decide to join forces? Why not have two podcasts with you guys each being your own hosts? Jim and I's story goes back to when we were both presenting at the same conference. And we both appreciated the way that each other presented our story in front of that audience. And then it just so happened at the time we, we were both living in San Francisco and we ended up catching a cab back to the airport. And that sort of kicked off this wonderful relationship that we have together. But the, I think what, you know, sort of in jest, but then also in reality, Jim and I are from two different eras in many ways. I am a millennial. Jim is a boomer. He doesn't take offense to that. I don't take offense to being called a millennial either. And the way that we see the world, you know, there's a lot of differences, of course. I'm grown up effectively with a cell phone in my hand from day one. Jim obviously has not. I've got a technology angle. Jim has sold more traditional products and services in the industry. So we felt like that collaboration, that sort of that give and take, if you will, the push and pull, the yin, the yang between those two worlds fits really nicely because we both, the overlap there, and it's more overlap than it is different, is that we both have a passion for telling stories. And so it just... It felt natural to do a joint show. Plus, we have access to different guests, right? So Adam has his network of people. I have my network of people based on, you know, what Adam just said. And so it, it was it was a natural it was a natural connection. And, you know, we, we spend time together and it was kind of the discussion. Adam was working only about a mile from my house. And we'd have lunch at the pizza place, at the Thai restaurant, at the sushi restaurant. And we'd talk about what kind of bad stories were being told in the water industry. And so we kind of felt, well, you know, stop talking about it, do something. And so that's kind of how we started. And, and also we started it right around COVID. And, you know, for me, I was bored. And so, and, and Adam says, well, that's no, that's no reason to start a podcast. Right? <laughs> right. So. So we, we decided to start the podcast to get, you know, results for the audience. Well, it's hard enough for me to keep my own thoughts straight. And I'm the only host on Scaling Up H2O. <laughs> you guys have to banter between each other and make sure it's cohesive with the guest. How on earth do you do that? So, you know, one of the things we do is preparation, right? So when we have a guest, I put together a mind map about their background, some questions, how we got to know them. And, and then I send it to Adam and then we talk about it. And then we have a rehearsal with the guest. And then based on that, we get questions down and then I redo the mind map. We send it to Adam and the guest. 
So we have an outline and we ping pong back and forth. So, you know, if I introduce the guest, Adam asks the first question, then I ask the next one and we just go back and forth. And so, you know, preparation is key, Trace. I mean, that's and, and you're good at that, too. When, whenever I've been on your podcast, you send questions in advance. We know where we're going. And so it, it's it makes it a lot easier. I would say, too, that we we start and end the shows with a pretty much scripted routine more or less. So we know who's going to introduce the guest, who's going to ask the first question, and we know what the final question is and about how much time we're going to need in order to wrap up the show. So everything in between, there's a natural ping pong there. So I think with those sort of end caps, it helps streamline that discussion in a way that makes sense. And we keep them all to, you know, 25 minutes or less. So that also helps keep it concise. It makes sure Jim and I aren't asking too much. It keeps the guest, you know, uh, sort of reined in, if you will, not going on tangents. So I think that probably helps too. So 30 plus shows in, what have you learned from show one? I've learned so much about this industry that I had no clue existed. You know, my the world of water that I've lived in for over a decade now has been largely in innovative technology. It's been on the digital side of the house. It's been in startups. And Jim's bringing guests to the table that are from the agriculture industry which is an industry that I've never touched as part of water's story, which is a shame to say because agricultural water use is a big, big driver of water-related issues all over the world. And so to talk to people from that industry, it just brings a whole new you know, perspective for what I do on a day-to-day in water. And for me, Trace, I mean, I picked up marketing tips from some experts, people like Maiden Glover of 120 Water. I mean, her whole idea of diving into data. You know, I started a whole campaign with Maisie about deep dive into data, telling a complete marketing story. And so pulled a lot of good information from our guests and learned so much from the guests and and applied it. I mean, not just, hey, that's interesting, but applied it to my own business at Maisie. Both of you are writers and you have a different style, even a different media. I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that. (laughs) Another common love between Jim and I, for sure. Jim, you I mean, you've been at it much longer than I have, so I feel like you, you got to start. Yeah. So, you know, I've been writing on LinkedIn for a long time and doing articles. I, I like the long form type of uh, ideas. You know, I, I look at myself, I, I have a, I'm a combination between a chemical engineer and an investigative reporter. And so, you know, I've always liked to read about different things and, and give a spin on it from a technical side and from a, you know, just people would be interested in this. And uh, that's kind of been my whole thing. And then, you know, just recently, and I think Adam started first on LinkedIn, now you can do a newsletters. And so I've taken those long form articles and turned it into a, a newsletter uh, to know water is to love water. And it's kind of a serial and I'm in plans to take that serial and publish it into a book to know water is to love water. So that, that's kind of been, you know, where I've taken it. I've written on water online, technical articles. So, you know, long form is kind of my area. And I dabble more in short form for sure. So that would be either on Twitter or on LinkedIn, crafting small posts, finding things I think that will be interesting to my audience and my brand on LinkedIn And then I also have a newsletter. So Jim and I both publish our newsletters through LinkedIn's publishing platform, which is incredible, by the way. So for anyone listening that's interested, I highly recommend starting on LinkedIn. Basically, overnight, I went from zero to 1,900 subscribers on this newsletter, which is pretty amazing. 
And my take on it is it's called Atwater's Edge, and it's meant to be the cutting edge of technology and water. And I've always felt that there's not an approachable newsletter that anyone, regardless of whether or not you're in the water industry, can read and say, man, that's kind of interesting. And so now I get comments from people who are not in the water industry that are like, wow, I had no idea. So just last week or uh, last month, I wrote about water sommeliers as one example. The Chicagoland area are now canning their tap water, calling it Chicagua, which is pretty interesting. Um, I've written articles on solar panels covering India's, India's water canals. I mean, all sorts of cool stuff. And it's just meant to be a more approachable way for people to jump in on the conversation of water who may not be thinking about it regularly. Both of you don't just write, you encourage others to write and others to create content. So for somebody listening today that think that they don't have any content in them, what do you want to say to them? That's just nonsense. And granted, you might have to be careful about it depending on your sort of day job and who's looking out over what you might create. But you would be stunned at who will come out of the woodwork to learn about your day-to-day just in your career. So if we're talking about water professionals specifically, someone that's out there repairing pumps, repairing pipes, doing routine maintenance on some type of treatment system that they may have installed, people find that stuff interesting. And it doesn't take, you doesn't have to be writing. You can even just record a short video. That video can then be transcribed into written word if you want it to be. But a short video posted to a company LinkedIn account, you know, company Instagram, whatever it might be, that goes a long way. People like to see the real, you know, what's what's really happening. That sort of candid transparency around brands and businesses. And you know, even though you might think it's boring, start by documenting stuff that you're doing in your day to day, and I guarantee you're going to find people who are interested in it. Yeah, just get started, right? And so I got started by doing some book reviews on water water books. So I'd read a book and I'd write a short review on it, and. That's kind of how I got started writing about it. And people found it interesting because they didn't have time to read the water book that I did. And uh, just some of the highlights and some interesting things I found about it. And as Adam said, you know, you're walking down the street, you see some guys repairing a, a sewer main leak, video it, take a photo of it, you know, whatever, whatever, get, just get started. Jim, that's actually how you and I met. Uh, you wrote some articles on some books that I had not had a chance to read you did a great job of summarizing what was in the books and your thoughts on the books. So I reached out to you, and of course, history was made. Uh, <laughs> but you did you did such a great job of taking a lot of material and just making it so easy to digest into the LinkedIn format. How do you do that so well? Well, just I have an interest in it, you know, and and it's a passion I have that uh, you know I like to I like to read, and I got to say that mind mapping helps me quite a bit because. I can chunk it down and I can take just little snippets and I put these ideas and outline and then put it together and that becomes, uh, you know, an article. One thing I'll say about Jim Trace is that he has an uncanny ability to bring other people into the discussion. So he has a, a close friend, Steve Behrman, who's a comedian. And Jim and Steve will riff on the stuff that Jim has written and come up with ways of communicating water-related topics or other articles that make it funny, that make it compelling, that make it interesting. So I think one of Jim's superpowers is his ability to bring other voices into the conversation that add more, we'll call it flavor, to what he puts out there. And I think people people may not realize that, but they appreciate it as they're reading it, even though they don't know that that's what he's consciously doing. And he's very humble about it. 
<laughs> well, since we're talking about books, what are some of your favorite water books? Well, I just finished a great one called The Ghost Map. And it's about uh, Dr. John Snow, who people know from the Broad Street. I mean, there was a cholera epidemic in London in 1854, and no one really knew what was causing it. A lot of people thought it was what they called miasma, the air, bad air coming around. And Dr. John Snow, who was an epidemiologist, he was doing some forensic study and he didn't believe it. But it wasn't only him. It was also a, a pastor, Edwin Chadwick, who was a community organizer. And between the two of them, just tracing patterns and people's where they lived and where they worked, the two of them working together proved that it was waterborne disease and they found it was traced to this Broad Street pump that was giving people cholera. It's a fascinating book on uh, kind of a CSI type of novel, right? Just the investigative reporting. And, and Dr. John Stowe, he, he was a brilliant man. He was one of the first people that developed anesthesia, right? Chloroform, ether. And he had a whole career as an anesthesiologist. And then he just decided to do this. A wonderful book, Ghost, Ghost Mac by, by Stephen Johnson. I'm a big fan of books that detail where people are doing things the right way when it comes to water. So there's this quote that the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. And I feel like there are a number of countries in particular that are managing water in a very, in a very responsible manner that the rest of the world can learn from. And there's a bunch of books. I mean, you can look them up the way that Israel's managing water, that Singapore manages water. I mean, there's there's so many different examples. But one book that I found interesting, which is is tangentially related, it's something called The Control of Nature. It's by a guy named John McPhee. And in that book, he outlines the ways that humanity, humankind is attempting to sort of impose their will on nature. And one of his chapters is actually on the Mississippi River. And how the Army Corps of Engineers over so many years has rerouted that river in ways that it was never meant to be rerouted. But of course, that's also had impacts downstream where that river is now creating more problems, flooding in places that wouldn't have happened before or erosion in places that wouldn't happen before, or dams that now need to be taken out because we hadn't anticipated the effects. So if you want to read a really interesting book on the dynamics between humans and nature and specifically water, I highly recommend the control of nature. You both did a fantastic job of promoting Brave Blue World when that came out and that's been picked up by Netflix and more and more people have seen that. Are there other videos out there that we should be aware of? Yeah, I've just, I've, I've watched a couple of them recently. One was done by Toyota and the good work that they're doing around recycling of their water. It was on one of the nature channels and it really promoted the idea. And people don't think about it. I think it's like 100,000 gallons of water required to make an automobile, you know, between the paint and how they've, they used to just flush the paint and recycle, uh, you know, with water. Now they're recycling all that water in the, in the paint facility. A really interesting video that they did. I think it was like a half an hour long. I can't remember the name of it, but I just watched it recently. Very, very interesting video that would. I wouldn't be doing us justice as our boomer millennial trope if I didn't mention TikTok right now. So there is some really cool content that's being created on platforms like TikTok that are all about water. And I mean, we're talking videos, you know, that are less than three minutes long that might have three, four, five, ten million 10 million views. 
that's about how water was managed in Rome and the history of water there, or the ways that local utilities are helping people manage water and talk about water in communities and residences. So, you know, I've, I've got to play to my strengths here. Short form content, YouTube shorts, Instagram reels, TikTok. Check those out. Just search the hashtag water and see what pops up. And it's pretty cool to see what people are putting, putting out there. We'll see if your crystal ball is better than mine. But where do you see our industry going in the future? Well, it's a lot of things. I mean, one of the things I've been writing about and, and presenting on is the whole connection between carbon capture and water. And it, it's, it's really, I mean, if we're going to look at carbon capture, carbon sequestration, it's going to involve water, whether it means capturing it after the fact, after it's out in the atmosphere and we pull it in with equipment. All that equipment is going to require some type of water, whether it's the steel that's manufactured, the concrete support structures, all that. Or if we're going to do the right thing in terms of the irrigation of our crops without putting those nutrients into lakes and rivers. Well, we talked about phosphorus going into Lake Erie that created the algal blooms. Well, those algal blooms are creating uh, cyanotoxins, which have to be removed from drinking water. Well, that again... That's equipment, that's, that's energy, that's chemicals. All that stuff is going to be required. And all that is about carbon, carbon dioxide and, and other greenhouse gases. So I, I think we've really got to look at that and, and think in terms of first, how can we mitigate it before the fact and then how water is involved and it's how that's going to be used after the fact. I would say that the data that's coming from all of those different could be processes, pieces of equipment, the water itself, especially around water quality, is going to make our industry a lot more transparent. I think that the public is going to demand more transparency in water quality, where water is being used, how much is being used, who has access to it, who doesn't have access to it. So I think that's going to bring a whole nother level of discussion to what we do in our industry. The other one that I think is going to happen, I actually wrote an article two years ago, Trace, that was the next decade where I see water heading in 10 years from now. And it blew up on LinkedIn. It was pretty interesting. But some of the predictions I made were, I basically said, all right, here's like the gimmies. Here's for sure what's going to happen. And here's some of the most radical stuff that could happen. And one of the things I predicted was that water utilities would actually start selling bottled water. So either in cans, bottles, glasses, jugs, whatever it might be, because the lack of distrust in public water systems is only going to continue to increase. And so I see a future where the way that we deliver water to communities will change, whether it's canning or otherwise, or private companies coming in and, and bringing more you know, water that's not tap to people's homes. I see that probably happening too. Yeah. And I give Adam a lot of credit for his courage to put things out there like that because you could be wrong, right? And, <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, it's pretty bold to make these predictions and some are going to be right and some are going to be wrong, but at least he's got the conversation going. And uh, people, you know, on LinkedIn, they, they disagreed with him. I think I disagreed with you, Adam, on some of, some of the yep, points. And you, you were right on some and wrong on others. But, you know, it's that courage to say, this is what I see and this is how I see the future. So here's a bit of a therapy session for you guys. You can get this off of your chest. What's something that you just don't like that you see in our industry that you just want to tell people, hey, stop doing this? Oh, I mean... We talk about it all the time on our podcast, but the vendors of equipment and services in this industry that will go to a trade show and be on stage and will talk about 
We always pick on them. I'll pick on them again here. Pump suppliers, our pump curves, our efficiency numbers, our throughput. No one cares. Nobody cares. It's not helping anybody. It's not helping you sell more. It's not helping your audience. It's not helping the public get interested in what we do. So just stop talking about yourself. Get out of the weeds and talk to elevate the level of the conversation that you're having. Actually put some thought, effort, energy, time into preparing to converse in a way that actually gets people interested and excited who are what our industry is and what we do. Yeah, and I would say, you know, similar, I would say, look, you know, case studies are great. Um, you want to promote the good efforts of your company and, and where it's going and uh, successful installations. But that's not what it's all about. I mean, write about trends, write about issues that are more broad based. And it's more service for your company if you get more engagement, because only certain people are going to be interested in your technology. And that's a pretty narrow, whether it's Adams Transcend technology or Maisie technology, there's only a certain amount of people that are going to be interested in that. So, you know, talk about general trends in the water industry and you'll get more engagement and, and it's more service to the, to the industry as well. So if someone just started listening to the podcast at this very moment and you could only get one message across to them, what would you want that message to be? Start telling stories. Start telling water stories from a more broad-based aspect. Not why is it good for you and your company? Why is it good for the water community in general? And look, Adam and I always say, and it's another reason why we started the podcast, if people are going to buy your products and services, there's got to be money there for that. And the only way there's going to be money there for that is if the general public sees the value in water. So that's why you need to tell water story. Not only because it's the right thing to do, but it's also the smart business thing to do. I would, I would say the same thing. And I would tell people, start today. Don't overthink it. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend. Don't be comfortable hiding in the shadows like our water infrastructure is. It's literally buried in most cases. Be comfortable being out front. Own our industry. Own your role. Own the importance of what we do. And be willing to create dialogue about it, because without it, we're going to be in the same position we have been for the last 100 years, which is broken infrastructure, underfunded communities, lack of trust in our public water systems. The only way to fix that is by talking about it and bringing it to the table. One more time, in case members of the Scaling Up Nation missed it, tell us again about your podcast and where people can find it. So our podcast is called What Are We Talking About? It's on all the major podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google Play, etc. You can also go to Water Online and you'll see the videos for each of those podcasts if you want to see Gemini's beautiful faces. I don't know if you want to, but you're welcome to if you want to. And again, it's all about finding the best storytellers in the water industry and having our audience learn from how they're telling stories so that they themselves can become better storytellers. Jim, Adam, I want to thank you for once again coming on Scaling Up H2O. It's always fun to have you as my lab partners. Always a pleasure, Trace. Thanks so much. We appreciate the opportunity. Appreciate it, Trace. Scaling Up Nation, Adam and Jim are so fun to talk to. I love it when I get to meet with people that love talking about water as much as I do. 
Of course, they loved it so much, they named their podcast after that. So if you're looking for them, their water we talking about, find that anywhere you consume podcasts, and I think you'll enjoy their show. You know, a lot of people say, Trace, why are you telling us about a competitor show? Aren't you worried that you're going to lose listeners to somebody else? And absolutely not. If you haven't heard me say this in a while, I'm going to go ahead and say it again. A rising tide raises all boats, and there are not a lot of people in the water space. So when the people in the water space can come together, help each other, encourage each other, you, the listeners, are going to get a better product. So I hope you enjoy the two podcasts that I introduced you to this month, and it helps you become a better water treatment professional. It allows you to learn some more content. It allows you to try something a little bit different. Maybe you think about something a little bit differently. And if you do that, you're going to be a better water treater. And the whole mission for the Scaling Up H2O podcast is to raise the bar in the water treatment industry. So all of us together in this space are doing that. And thank you for being part of the Scaling Up Nation. Something that Adam and Jim love to encourage people to do is to create content. I've got a coach, and you've met him before. His name is Tim Fulton, and if you search the show, he has been on the show before. Tim has been working with me for well over a decade, and Tim says that there is a book in everyone. Now, my book has yet to come out. In fact, I started this podcast because it was so much easier for me to talk over a microphone than it was to sit down and start writing. But I promise you, world, someday I will come out with a book. But in the meantime, I've written a ton of technical papers, position papers, all sorts of stuff to give content out in the water world about what was going on. I've given presentations. So that is something that I can do. That is something that you can do. And don't think for a second, because you haven't been in this industry as long as I have, that you don't have something to offer. There is something that you know that makes you an expert. And by the way, when I was nervous, when I had to give a presentation in front of a room full of experts in their own right, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, who am I? What do I know compared to all these people? A gentleman that I really trust gave me the advice that you are an expert if you know just 10% more than the average people that you are speaking with. Think about all the things that you know that are more than 10% of what the average person knows. We are experts on so many things. I encourage you, and as you heard from Jim and Adam, they are encouraging you as well to get that out of your head and write something. Get some content down. Do a TikTok video. I'm probably never going to do a TikTok video, so you can do that because I don't know how. With all of those things, there are so many creative ways for you to put content out there. As we put that content out there, others are able to consume it. Others are able to educate themselves because of it. And as we get better educated on the water industry, the whole world is able to make better decisions. So I urge you to do your part in raising the bar in the industrial water treatment industry. I also urge you to tune in next week with a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. 
So many people ask me what a mastermind is. Does that mean in six weeks I am going to be the best water treater that I can be through a training class? Folks, that's not a mastermind, that is a master class. What a mastermind is, is when like-minded people get together, we process issues, we form common bonds of friendship around each other, and we celebrate and push each other towards success. It is the key to so many people unlocking their potential. To find out more, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.